You're listening to episode 28 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. (laughs) And that was Eli. This is, uh, listen, listen, you guys have been good sports. You put up with a lot. I've got to do this fast because I'm, my, my table clamp mic stand actually andrews that i'm using just sprang off the table so i'm just holding it in midair and it's a little heavy so andrew had this great idea he said eli doesn't have enough editing to do so i'm gonna i'm gonna meticulously research my own podcast this is what andrew has done for the best of of episodes one through ten and ladies and gentlemen that's right that's what we have for you today. So listeners, um, if if this is your first time listening, we're fully expecting we you to listen to the first 27 episodes, starting with episode <laughs> one, uh, in the next week. To get all the jokes. In the next week, please. Uh, but in case you don't have time for that, here is a good summary of most of 2017's recordings, episode one through have 10. Have fun, because we did. Enjoy. <laughs> Welcome to Episode 7 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. I'm Andrew. I'm Eli. And we are your hosts. <laughs> Andrew has a cold today. <laughs> you just, you cut straight to the to it, huh? <laughs> uh, it's in the far southwestern tip of Russia. The South Caucasus are three countries formerly part of the Soviet Union but now not a part of Russia. And those three countries are? Georgia, not the state. Azerbaijan, Mm -hmm. not the, there is no other Azerbaijan. And Armenia, Armenia. not Armenians, if you know what those are. Yes. Different story. Yes. Uh, So that's the South Caucasus. The North Caucasus is in Russia proper. And that is seven republics that are a part of Russia, basically like states or provinces. from it stretches from the Caspian Sea on the east with Dagestan all the way west to Adygea. So it's like a neck, like a neck of land between these two seas. That's right. So it's basically Black Sea to Caspian Sea, west to east, seven republics in the Russian part. So that's where we are, and it's awesome. And if you know anything about history, if you met, if you think about any like neck of land that connects any two places, it's going to be chock full of history. Now connect the Middle East with Russia and Europe, and it gets really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's the North Caucasus. Everyone's been here. <laughs> yes. If you're an American or if you're not, we're your s- spokesperson. We're here. And so we want to put a, a positive emphasis, not because it, uh, not as a spin, but because we're living it and we love it. Yeah. We love and, the cultures and we love being here. And, and we really want yeah. to share this. And I would say, like, honestly, if you, if you want to hear negative things about those things, just go on the internet because it's full of it. But, that, that's not the purpose of this podcast. Right. We, we really, we love this place. And so we want to give voice to those positive things. It's a good word, man. Yeah. Let's have our first North Caucasus News Minute. What do you think of that? I that would love that. I have no idea what's coming. Okay. All right. So um, here's our, our news topic for today in the North Caucasus. I'm braced. Alcohol consumption. Okay. I, that threw me off. Isn't that interesting? Weather and religion play a factor in these in things. In both places. Yeah. Yeah. So if, in conclusion, if you are from Mississippi, Alabama, 
what was the other one? Arkansas? Arkansas, Tennessee. You'll feel right at home here. That's right. All right. Welcome to episode two of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. This is just such a unique region within Russia. Um, we know all the tourists who come to Russia go to Moscow and St. Petersburg, but... Which are great in their own way. Yes. Been there, done that, beautiful cities, but this is where it's at. Once you come here, you will never look back. It really is like the hidden gem of Russia, the North Caucasus. Um, so yeah, today we're going to talk about the kind of tourism piece. Uh, if you were traveling through the North Caucasus, what could you see? Let's talk about the geography. You could see rams with humongous horns. That's true. That was a <laughs> rhetorical question. <laughs> Um, but I'm glad. I'm sitting here thinking through my list. I was like, trees, I'm glad that's the first thing rivers. you came up with for tourists. <laughs> first republic or state in the North Caucasus, the most farthern, further, easternmost, easternmost <laughs> region is Dagestan. Dagestan. Not Dagestan. And not dog with an O. Dagestan. With an A. I just think we'll come back to the cultures, but the fact that there are between 35 and 50 unique, distinct cultures. I mean, this region is called by some the Papua New Guinea of Europe. Uh Papua New Guinea is this mountainous little island, and you have Stone Age culture separated by another unrelated Stone Age culture, valley to valley, because they've just been there for eons. And it's like that here. I mean, you have these, these cultures that are narrow but deep and go way back and so that's going to be a layer to traveling the geography that you just don't get literally anywhere else on the planet that's true chechnya what can we say what's famous about the land of chechnya the capital this might be the most famous city in the north Caucasus. oh yeah grozny grozny see there we go how do you know how is it grozny 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 maybe do americans say grozny we say grozny in Russian, it's Grozny. 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 So Grozny. Let's say Grozny. With my, there's, with my, southern, <laughs> my southern accent thrown in there. So American southern. Grozny is the capital of Chechnya. Ingushetia is two really cool things about Ingushetia. The, it means, Ingushetia, the land of the towers. Huh. So the Ingush historically, and this was primarily up in the mountains, they lived in towers. Like, we're talking like we're, Saruman here. We're, we actually kind of are. Maybe not that big. That's Lord but, of the Rings reference. For yes, that, you know. good reference. Uh, but literally like four-story towers. Okay. Not in normal homes. Like many of them used to live in towers. And, and they're narrow? They're, they're narrow, but this was like the form of living. And many of them are still existent today, but uh, again, we'll get into the history of this. Uh, nobody really lives in the towers okay. anymore, but... They are absolutely gorgeous. There is this one um, blonde girl still up in one of those. Can't find her way down. Really long hair. So we'll we'll talk about her later. No, but can you see? Can you we're, go see? We're going to confirm that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was there. I got to see the towers to a couple there. weeks ago. Right. I, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Basically, these villages of towers dotted all throughout the landscape. Wow. And you know, fun fact: my English friend, his name is Vishan, but. He told us how back in the day, it was like Lord of the Rings, where they, if there was a, an emergency and one village needed another village help, they would light a fire in the top no. of one tower. The next village over would light a fire, and it would just spread across the mountains real fast like that. 
Dude. Pretty cool. Gondor has nothing on Ingusetia. <laughs> it, it is really beautiful. So right. um, That excites me. For some of these, you have to get permission because they're border control zones. All that means is you have to give your passport information two months in advance and they'll give you, get you a pass. Yeah, we get super uptight about passport information in the U.S. You have to like give the waitress your passport when you buy <laughs> like French fries. I mean, everyone wants your passport yeah. here. And it- here, the, the passport here is like your driver's license, social security, and birth certificate in America combined, but even more than that. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to episode three of Caucasus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. I'm Andrew. I'm Eli. Andrew, I'm going to have to stop you right there. Stop me. You said Caucasus Talk. Oh. And it's only episode three. So right south of Ingushetia, is North Ossetia. North Ossetia, south of Ingushetia. It's confusing. A unique thing about Ossetia, this isn't about geography, but they're the only uh, republic that Islam is not the official religion. Right. Um, right. Again, this is a lot of history here, but uh, Ossetia has historically a mix of Christianity and paganism as the official religion. And paganism, not in a pejorative sense, but just in terms of non-Christian religion. It's alive and well there, isn't it? Yes, like I mean, many, are, many different kinds of gods yeah. and yeah, beliefs. So we're, we're like, that's, that's otherworldly. Yes. Or, you know, I mean, I guess we have, let's not go into paganism yeah, in America. But it's, but, it's very unique yeah. in, in the landscape of the Caucasus. Uh, yeah, it's, there's six of the republics are primarily Muslim. Uh, and this republic has more like Christian and pagan roots. Okay. Yeah. All right. Right north of North Ossetia is... We're coming into the compound. I just want to warn you. We're coming into the compound names. Don't be frightened. These places, you you can pronounce them. You will you will get it. Let's hear it. Kabardina, Balkaria. Kabardina, Balkaria. Kabardina, like... Dash. Kabardina. Kabardina. <laughs> Balkaria. That's right. Kabardina dash Balkaria. There's a ball. There's a car. There's a bark. Kabark. No, I got that wrong. Uh, we'll figure. We'll figure out some. Kabardina Balkaria. And that. Um, this is where Mount Elbrus is. Uh, oh. This is the largest mountain Elbrus. in Europe. Um, Kabardina Balkaria. That name uh, is referring to two specific, distinct ethnic groups. I got, it. got I got it. I got it. I'm gonna go there. Go there. Kabardines. Kabardians the- or Kabardians, I've heard in English, Ooh. but in Russian we say Kabardine. Kabardians. Anyway, <laughs> gas water. It, it, yeah, but you know, gas, yeah, gas water. And you know, when I first Probably. moved uh, to like Eastern Europe and Russia, Ukraine area, I could not stand it. But it's really grown on me. And it's not just seltzer where they, like a machine pumps CO2 into water. These are all like mineral, naturally yes. effervescent, bubbly water. So they all have different tastes. I mean, I went to a doctor. And she prescribed a certain mineral water that I buy at the grocery store mm. as part of my, it was like a mini sanatorium experience. It's wow. like, take some drugs, drink this intensive chamomile, and then drink number four. It's like, not number 17. And she almost fell. She's like, not 17. <laughs> too strong. Good, Eli, it's good joking in Russian. <laughs> I know. I, was, I didn't well, realize. She didn't think it was funny. It was going to scare her. <laughs> to the west of Kabardina Bokoria is, you know it? I can't remember. Karachai, uh, Karachai, in my English, Karachai, Cherkessia, but in Russian, Karachai, Cherkessia. Uh, so again, this is just like Kabardina-Balkaria. Two distinct peoples, the Karachai, 
who are actually very close. They're like brother peoples with the Bokar. Mm-hmm. Just like English and Chechen are together with their language and culture, Karachan and Bokar are together with their language and culture, but they're separated by the mountains. Right. And Cherkessia, the Cherkess people. In English, we say the Circassians. The Circassians, or it looks like Circassian. It's got a bunch of S's in there. That's right. You know Ricola? You know, this, we're talking Swiss Ricola. here. Ricola. You're right. It's the Swiss cough drops, and you've got the dudes with the, like Alpenhorns out in the yes. meadows, okay? It just increase the height of the mountains. Uh. And in the summertime, you've got Dumbai. You've got wildflower meadows. You've got hiking, yes. mountain biking. You've got lakes. Um, and we're going to try and get there at the end of this summer because we've only been in the winter. It looks, it is stunning. I mean, it is jaw-dropping, the yes. mountains there. And then go west of Karachai Cherkessia, the last uh, republic in the North Caucasus on the western end is Adigeya. Say that again. Adigeya. Adigeya. Yes. That's how you say it. Yes. No matter what. I honestly don't know a lot about Adigeya. It's probably the republic. I haven't been there. It's the republic I know the least about. Cheese. They've got amazing cheese. Okay. They got good. They got squeaky cheese. They got salty cheese. Wow. They make them in these bowls, these like strainers. So if you're from Wisconsin, Wisconsin, we want you to come and test their cheese. You need to get out of Wisconsin. If you listen to our last episode, you need you know you need a break from Wisconsin, okay? Because there's some unwholesome things that are happening there in the wintertime. You might could say Adige is the cheese heads of Russia. <laughs> that might be going too far. That's that's the North Caucasus. And this is all like in an area the size of Florida. I mean, in terms of area, square huh, mileage-wise, okay. I looked it up. Cool. Yeah, it's it's not massive, you know, laterally. It's massive vertically. That's right. And culturally, which we'll get into later. Welcome to episode four of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history. I like your definition. One I found is similar to that is that culture provides the patterned way of doing things. Yeah, pattern. That's good. Um, and it's... This is even this is a little more in depth, but I think it's really helpful. Culture is the super glue which binds people together and gives them a sense of identity and continuity that is almost impenetrable. Ooh. Basically, when you get some people together in their own place, they multiply and they create a like an organism or an organic system hmm. which is distinct to itself. So that's another way of thinking about culture is you know, dishes of bacteria all around the world. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds kind of gross. But there are, there's good bacteria. But beautiful. Caucasus culture is fascinating. It's very different from American culture, but I want to say up front, there are some things I've learned here that have made me a better person. And I'm really glad like, I've got to experience these parts and values of the Caucasus culture. Yeah. We are and too. It's Andrew. more a part of me. We really want you to improve. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for putting that on the public record. Uh, first thing I want to say about the Caucasus culture is people in the North Caucasus love their culture. They're very proud of it. They're specifically proud about their ethnicity, their ethnic group, and their past. Um, and so this is something you can really only get if you've lived here, but people talk about these things all the time. People tell stories from their family's history, from the history of their nation. Um, sometimes you'll hear elaborate conspiracy theories about things. Um, <laughs> so like if we were in the U S in a social gathering and someone started telling like a folk tale from the civil war, 
I mean, we might be amused or kind of impressed. But that it would literally has be, never happened to no, me in America. No, right. I mean, you're not sitting yeah. there like sipping your Coke and it's, it's like, you know, <laughs> you know, back in 1861, you may not believe this, but actually it's like, I, I haven't been thinking about 1861 really right now, but but that's more like that here. People will just like bring up it, history and... And it's totally normal. And like very often if you're sitting around a table having drinking tea with somebody, the conversation will move back one century at a time, 20th century, 19th century, uh-huh. 18th century. And it's fascinating. Like, And that's where our history starts. <laughs> And they keep going. Uh, it was written actually by an Armenian person talking about the history of the Caucasus. Listen to what he says. Every nation, tribe, and ethnic group puts itself at the center of Caucasus culture and claims that all cultural values of the Caucasus have been diffused to the other Caucasus peoples from them. Convenient. That's Very, pretty. So think about that. So everyone sees themselves as the source. Yeah, like here in the Caucasus, we have minimum 50 different like ethnic groups from this region. All distinct. Not to mention a lot of them who have come from other regions. Like Turks or... Greeks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like doesn't matter. If you talk to a Balkar, <laughs> a Chechen, Ingush, a different Dagestani, often... The, it's going to be about how like this is the true Caucasus culture. Yeah. The first one, this was told me by told to me by a, a Karachai man, Karachai. Uh, he said there is genetic proof that Abraham Lincoln descended from the Karachai people. I love that. And he he talked. He said there's studies about it, documentaries. Abraham Lincoln was Kar- Karachai. Multiple documentaries. This was told to me by an Ossetian taxi driver. You've been around, man. The English language came from the Ossetian language. Do you want me to show you how? Give me any word and I'll show you how. You're kidding. Just like that. No. (laughs) Yes. It was like my big fat Greek wedding in a taxi in North Ossetia. I would have just died. It was very funny. Say something in Karachai. Would you, do you have a proverb or you can can make fun of my face or something like that? Yeah, there's a very funny word. Um, It's not too long. Uh, It sounds like what does that mean? Wow. <laughs> we need to learn that. I'm impressed. So we can say it to our car chai friends. Just that word. <laughs> that would be so cool. We can like shout it across a busy street. Like, are you from those who are from those who are from the cutters <laughs> of the grass? <laughs> no! Okay. Drop the mic, walk off. <laughs> so the very first thing that I want to mention is that it's about um great great deal of attention paid to the relationship between people, uh, between the young and the old, for uh-huh. instance. Okay. Like for instance, um, when you shake hands, if it's the if it's if the person is older than you, it's just compulsory that you do it with with your both hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you do it with your left hand, I mean, if you do it with just one of your hand, if you shake some old man's hand with just one of your hands, like an American does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really rude. Like huh. you're saying, um, you're of the same status. Uh, like like me, you know. But he doesn't I, need I to shake. You. He doesn't need to shake with both hands to you. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And okay, n- not only doesn't he has to do that, but they also they always shake with with their one hand. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So it's just like you show your subordination to people by using your both hands when when, when mm. doing the handshake. What would be some other ways that respect is shown towards older people? All right. So if you're if you're in the presence of the, again of of an elderly person. 
like if he's staying, if he's standing, it should not be sitting. If mm-hmm. he's sitting, it should not be lying. Like it should not be more relaxed than him. Than mm-hmm. him, if that makes sense, or her. Yeah, these are these are things like we just don't think about, do we? You have to reprogram your thinking yeah. as a, as an American to even notice, even to notice, because most of us would. If you ask, "How did you sit at dinner?" I couldn't begin to tell you. Yeah, when a person walks in the room who's older than a younger person, younger people immediately stand up. Yeah, I one time came into my kitchen and uh, my wife was hanging out with some uh, friends of hers who were students and there was a, a Kabardine guy there and he almost knocked his chair over. He stood up so fast. Like he was <laughs> like, it was like so deeply ingrained in him. I have to stand up now because the host is older than me, you know? And again, that might sound weird to like Americans, but I've really grown to appreciate that. Um, especially cause like, I'm I have friends who are younger than me and like it I don't feel like they need to do that for me. Yeah. They give that pen in the kind of way as if they're giving you their uh one of their organs, you know, like if they're giving their <laughs> kidney or something. And uh don't I'll, you forget it. I think I think Eli could probably act that out really this well. This pen cost me 30 rubles. <laughs> yeah, but you remember that that movie Godfather? Yeah. Yeah, he would help people. We or a guest in a Caucasus person's home. Okay, for example, we were in a Kabardine family's home with my friend Alim uh, a couple months ago. Um, they came, they picked us up mm-hmm. in their car. Um, when we got there, they had the huge spread, food spread out. And usually when you're a guest in a Caucasus home, especially if you're the older man, you sit down at the table and you don't move for like three hours. <laughs> like everybody serves you. All of the event happens there at the table. Um, yeah, that's really it. Then when you leave, like they gave us so much food to take home. Um, and I remember we talked at the table about, uh, I think we asked them what kind of animals they had. Uh, and they have like some farm animals. And Christy made a comment. They had some rabbits. And she said, oh, I've never, we've never had that before. <laughs> I basically have a policy now. If we run, you know, in Russia, it's a big deal that you drink uh, chai or hot tea with with your guests, and then you'll have like sweets and snacks. I don't ever buy sweets anymore or desserts at the grocery store. One, because my wife cooks lots of good desserts, <laughs> but two, because I know my Caucasus friends. If you had, if your family had slaughtered a lamb before mm-hmm. you came here tonight, which part of the lamb would you have brought us? Um, <laughs> the best one, probably. <laughs> For the guest, of course. <laughs> Left ear. <laughs> Is it true that guys riding the tram feel manlier when they don't hold on to the rail? <laughs> because I have seen multiple times really serious-looking guys standing there balancing. <laughs> they will not hold that rail. They will not hold that rail, and and they're good Is at it. Is there something behind that? Is there Is that something like a behind that? Thing? Um, I don't have that. Do you hold the rail when you ride the tram? Jordan <laughs> Blokus. I think he just answered your question. I think if so too. You can't use your hands to hold onto a horse. There's no way. There's no way the using the tram. Come on, <laughs> that old lady with the with the little like receipt machine. She didn't hold on to anything. Welcome to episode five of Caucasus Talk, your source for culture. How many different languages are spoken in the North Caucasus Mountains? I, 
Can't count that high in Russian anyway. No, I can't. <laughs> um, it's between, in the North Caucasus, it's between 50 and 100 languages. Yes. And, you know, those estimates even vary. Est- vary. But yeah, uh, for sure you can say more than 50 languages are spoken here. I just want to tell you I've been doing some higher math on my um, calculator on my phone. Okay. If there are 100 languages here and there are approximately 7,000 languages in the world, that means 1.4% of the languages of the world are in the North Caucasus. That is awesome. That's like a, a, a whole digit. One point, that's- we got a digit. If these languages, it follows, if these languages have a Turkish root, that the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire, came through here at one point. I immediately thought of pointy hats. Did they have pointy hats? Like pointy the hats. round ones that came up in a tall point, like a metal point. I cannot speak to that. I might be thinking of a cover of a C.S. Lewis novel. Huh. And uh, he kind of modeled some of his guys after Turks, and that action might be it. I'll have to go do a little research and uh, stick my foot in my mouth. <laughs> pointy hats. We'll, pointy we'll hats. get back to that. Yeah, if you go online, like YouTube, or just listen to someone speaking Georgian hmm. or, or Chechen. It sounds like they're just making stuff up to us. As, I mean, it just sounds like someone's like, "I would the like you to speak." Pronunciations are difficult. Like, articulate gobbledygook. I mean, it's so <laughs> different. It's hard to even wrap your mind around that someone could be speaking a real language. We're gonna have one of our Chechen or English friends on this podcast and speak to that. And, and articulate gonna, gobbledygook. <laughs> he's gonna pin me to the floor because I call the language gobbledygook. I have a list of different nations that at some point whose kingdom has been here in the North Caucasus. And this goes back many centuries. I mean, even before the 12th century, but here's just a couple. Arabs, Genghis Khan and the Mongols. Yes. Persians. Persian kingdom. Ottomans or the Turks. Russians. And then even, I mean, this is, like Russians, but like the Soviet Union, that was kind of its, its own, own thing kingdom too. kingdom thing. Yeah. Uh, so they've all occupied this area? Different parts of this area. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, think about that. Think about what that brings. Uh, layers and layers. Different cultures, yeah. different types of governments, religions. Like, I mean, that's how Islam came into the religion sure. when the Arabs came from the, from the South. Sure. Um, Christianity, Russian. Russia well, had much Russian Did you say influence. Romans? Romans were here first. Romans were here. Or even before that. but they were here. Yeah. To attempt to write the history of the Caucasus would not only be very difficult, but hardly profitable. <laughs> Until the Russian occupation, the Caucasus had no unity. Mm-hmm. Geographically, it's divided into two distinct parts by the Great Range. Ethnographically, it's but a collection of miscellaneous samples. Historically, it's always been split up between a number of different foreign states, more or less independent principalities and tribes. Alexander the Great, the East Roman Empire, and the Arabs at various times laid claim to rule the whole country, but in practice, they never actually did so. Russia is the first power which has succeeded in uniting these scattered fragments. And they're and only, the, is he only talking about North Caucasus or South Caucasus about the whole, too? The whole Caucasus. Because that even is debatable. yeah. yeah. And then just to finish his quote, he says, at the time of the Russian conquest, Western Transcaucasia was divided into the kingdoms of Georgia, Imeritia, and Mingrelia. The Eastern provinces were under Persian supremacy. Parts of modern-day Georgia belonged to Turkey. 
The mountain ranges were divided among a number of practically independent clans. This state of things had existed in a more or less modified form for several centuries, and in the wildly chaotic conditions of the country frontiers were uncertain and sovereign rights, but vain things. Wow. <laughs> That's a really good history of the Caucasus. I mean, it's just been crazy, like all the different nations that have kind of fought and warred and come through this region. The, the website is called bloodyelbow.com. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, very interesting. It's, it's about like MMA athletes, but fascinating uh, article, kind of his personal I'm history. Here. I'm made for this place. <laughs> Bloody elbows. I found a, a forum online where it was like a MMA forum where a person asked, why are so many Caucasians good at fighting? Uh-huh. And all of the answers to his question were why people think white people do better in MMA than black people. So that wasn't really the question. It wasn't the question. <laughs> I get it. Somebody <laughs> added a follow-up question. I think he's talking about guys from Chechnya and oh, Dagestan. Oh, that's great. And nobody got it. Like, <laughs> so when we say Caucasians, we're talking about people from the North Caucasus, not white Americans. Welcome to episode six of Caucus Talk. I also want to say to my friend named Denali from high school who climbed Denali, I just want to say hi, in the absurdly small chance you're listening. All right, go on. Wow. If you ever read the Pioneer Woman website, which I can just tell from the look on Andrew's face, he reads daily. Um, she has recipes and stuff. She does awesome quizzes. I open it right after I read ESPN.com. I go to pioneerwoman.com. <laughs> It's the reverse order for me, but same, same idea. <laughs> massive is a kind of a thing. Vincent Massive. 16,050 feet. 16,050 feet. And it's 150 miles from the South Pole. It was first climbed by the American Alpine Club in 1963. And obviously, it's really cold down there. So <laughs> maybe that had something to do with that's why it was only. Yeah, 63. Yeah. At least when we can. You know, I saw a pair of down pants in the store yesterday. I was in a camping store looking for a water bottle mm -hmm. and have all their winter clothes there. I mean, those things look toasty. You know, you like a puffy jacket, but puffy pants. I was just thinking about what I would be doing that would necessitate down pants. And one answer would be like walking down the street in half of this country during half of the year. <laughs> <laughs> or summiting the highest mountain of Antarctica. Of Antarctica. <laughs> that would definitely merit puffy pants. And many other puffy things. Anyway, so that's the seven highest summits in the world. Let's try to name them by memory right now. I'm going to start with Aconcagua. 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 Sorry if we butchered that. Something massive. South America. Vincent Massif. Vincent Massif. Antarctica. Uh, you name the Indonesian one. Indonesia. Karstens. Karstens sounds Mount really Karstens. good. Because it's rocky. Oce that's Oceania. Denali. Denali in North America. Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro in Africa. Everest. Everest in Asia. And last. Elbrus. Not least. You think they'll ever make, you know how they made that movie uh, Everest? You think they'll ever make a movie called Elbrus? Elbrus? <laughs> I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> Come on, somebody do that. In my mind, pinnacle, if you'll allow me to say that, of the, hey! North, <laughs> of the North Caucasus is, is going to be Mount Elbrus. I mean, Mount Elbrus is the tallest peak in Europe. And Amazingly, for most Westerners, Mount Elbrus is not on their radar because uh, it's it's been you know if you if you'll allow it to to be behind the Iron Curtain for so long, That's right. people just oh, weren't really aware of its existence. And you can branch out into 
um, rafting, which we're developing right now, mountain biking. We're trying to develop a good mountain biking tool right now, and we're most of the way there. Huh. Also, you, you have beautiful scenery, geography, waterfalls, awesome terrain for trekking, camping. If you like the outdoors, there's something for you here in the North Caucasus. And one thing that tourism offers that, that so many other business models don't offer or business categories don't offer is to bring people together through exchange of ideas huh. and and uh, you bring what you know from the place where you've grown up and the place where you've lived the place that you're familiar with and you bring it to a place that's completely different yeah. and and you share that but also you don't leave the same you take on uh, some characteristics of the culture that you visited. You learn about it and your life has changed and you're impacted by it. In, in general, the American culture right now, maybe this hasn't always been true, but uh, so many people flooded to America in years past that it created a, a cultural melting pot to where cultural identity for so many people became one larger common identity that now is not hinging around people groups so much as national identity. And, mm. and so in that way, a lot of people's cultural traditions that they brought with them from, from wherever they came from, a lot of that has actually been lost to the American culture in lieu of this, this greater identity, nationalistic identity of we're, we're Americans. Mm. And that's wonderful. That's really great. That's one of the things that makes America so unique and fantastic. But you can find something equally as unique and fantastic when you focus on the individual cultures. Mm-hmm. And that in very few places in the world is preserved so well as it is in the North Caucasus. Wow. Because, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly how many people groups we have here in the North Caucasus, but, you know, I think it's, it's close to 50 people groups. And if you can imagine that the hub for their culture and their cultural identity. We spent two days in Ingushetia. And my friend, my English friend, Visan hosted us. And um, we got there really late that evening to our destination. And uh, these English guys, Visan's friends, had been cooking this feast for us. I mean, shashlik. We're yeah, going to talk about shashlik one day, but that's shish kebabs. That's like the version of grilling out here. But, I mean, there was so much food. And, I mean, we it was like 10.30 p.m. And we just chowed down. There were a lot of us. And... We noticed pretty quickly that none of the English guys were sitting with us. Actually, they were all standing behind us. And one of the guys asked, like, why don't you guys sit down and eat with us? And he explained to us, I can't. Like, by English custom, anytime we have guests, we have to, we cannot sit while you're here. We have to actually be standing behind you and serving you the entire meal. That's exactly how Americans wish it were, that their hosts would just stand and watch them eat, right? <laughs> and honestly, it was, you know, I'm a little more used to it because I've been around that. But like for our friends who this was their first time in the Caucasus, it was really awkward for them and uncomfortable. And uh, so we ate till about midnight and then most of us went to bed. So wait, this is just the tourists. This is the Americans, yeah. And you guys are just sitting there and everyone else... They're standing. just serving us right. and like standing behind us. It's like a wall of guys standing around the table while we're sitting and eating. They're secretly taking bets on like who's going to eat the eyeball or no, I don't know. <laughs> so then we went to bed around midnight. And then what we didn't know was some other Ingush guys came, some of their friends who were older. And so my friend Vishan and his friend who were in their 20s, then by Ingush custom, they have to serve the older guys. 
and they cannot sit the whole time. So from 12 a.m. to 2 a.m., they stood the whole time and served the older guys, and then they didn't eat until 2 a.m. Wow. Um, and so then the next morning, again, this was happening where they were serving us, and it was really sinking in. I, I really saw it like connecting with our tourist friends, like, wow, this is such, I mean, it's such an honorable thing, yeah. you know, like of basically making your guest the king. I mean, that awkwardness and, is skin deep, and then it, it passes, and you realize what's actually happening. Yeah. That they're, yeah, what you just said, making your guest the king. That is amazing. Yeah. I would just like to emphasize, you said you have, you know, a horse master. Raise your hand if you know a horse master. I was master. just thinking, do I know any horse masters? <laughs> this, well, this I would like, like to be the man from Snowy River, so um, I might have to do that. Can I bring my pregnant wife? Maybe when she's closer to delivery, it would be like a little helpful. Never mind. All right. <laughs> you know, my... my anyway, wife, is, this, is this public knowledge? That my wife is pregnant? <laughs> uh, it is now. <laughs> Yep. There you have it. She's pregnant. So, so uh, our, our business director, he likes to say, it's not adventure if you can plan it. And so, you know, if you really awesome. want to have a true adventure, bring your wife on a horse tour. I'm going to write that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to write that indelibly somewhere. Probably not a tattoo, but it's not adventure if you can plan it. What is the one thing you want to tell the world about the North Caucasus? Sure. You know, the, as a tour operator bringing people into the North Caucasus from the West, I would tell you that there, you need to create a divide in your mind between what governments will say about the North Caucasus and what tourism will say about the North Caucasus. Because uh, if you go to the, the political sites and you read what they've written about the North Caucasus, they've written you know, what I'm going to classify as risk management statements. They want to make sure that anything that, that – might possibly go wrong in the North Caucasus would never come back on them. And certainly the, there are things about the history in the North Caucasus that would, would give them reason to write those things. But, uh, you know, there's an alternate perspective as well that really doesn't get written about. And that's that the people and the culture and the places of the North Caucasus are phenomenal and they want to meet you. <laughs> Welcome to episode seven of Caucus Talk, your source. Most Americans, if you would ask them, what do Russians eat? They would say borscht and they drink vodka. That's what they would say, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So we're here to like take you in a little deeper than that today. And you know, honestly, <laughs> Russians joke about this too. They know that's a stereotype. Um, well, stereotypes come from somewhere. Yeah, it's true. Which we're going to talk about that also in a future episode. Um, but yeah, so specifically getting back to grilling out in America, in Russia, and really strongly here in the North Caucasus, there is a local version of grilling out, and that is called shashlik. Shashlik! Shashlik. Now, uh, you've probably never heard that word before. It means tr- shish kebabs. Ah, is it related to the word shish kebab, shashlik kebab? Um, I actually did read some about the etymology, the origin, um, but I don't remember (laughs) that detailed. Um, I'll look it up. But yeah, shashlik is shish kebabs, meat on skewers that you grill or you could fry it. Um, But that is a big deal here. That is the Caucasus version of grilling out. Very good lead-in to what we're going to talk about. So shashlik 
is defined as more than a food. This <laughs> Caucasian version of shish kebab brings with it a whole tradition of going out to the forest, building a fire, cooking up the marinated meat, washing it down with vodka, playing guitar, and having good drunken fun. Now, wow, yeah, like that's taking it to the extreme, but you get the, you definitely get the vibe here that, like Eli said, it's an entire experience. Right, shushlik. It's, it's not just the food. You, like if you got shushlik in a bag and you were sent off like to school with it, it wouldn't be shushlik. Yeah, like very often here when you're talking with a friend, uh, somebody from the Caucasus, and especially in the summer, like this is the time where people are doing shushlik all the time. Your friend will say to you, "You've got to come to the mountains. You got to come to my house in the summer, and we'll do shushlik together." Yes, they don't just mean we will eat meat together. No. It's true. It means so much when they say we'll do shashlik. There is together. literally like a liturgy to shashlik. I mean, there is a beginning, middle, and end. You know, yeah. there's the like the rising action. I mean, I'm now thinking of how I could probably write a PhD project on like the meaning. I'm just thinking about shashlik we did a few weeks ago, and it took hours. Yes, and it was the whole point. And you know, I was always kind of insecure about this because <laughs> I don't have much experience grilling. I never owned my own grill in America. Um, I have grilled some, but not much. But I've been learning how to do shashlik here. This year, I've gotten a lot of experience and like kind of becoming more secure in my manhood almost, you could say. <laughs> I don't know. There's something, there's something deep and tribal there. Good word. I know I honestly would love to see like at what age boys start Doing their own shashlik because I've seen teenagers yeah. do it. Yep, you know, you know, and is is it a rite of passage? Is it coming? It's like when I first car- carved my first like Thanksgiving turkey. Uh-huh. I felt like I was a man. I still haven't done that. Uh, interesting huh. little boy. <laughs> when you get a bunch of guys together to move somebody, like with a moving truck, uh-huh. have you listeners? Have you ever experienced this? I'm sure you have. Where people, the guys are trying to figure out how to pack the moving truck. And every single guy has an opinion about the best way to do it. Well, it's because my way is the best. Yes, that's right. I, I, I've seen this countless times. And yes, it's funny. That's kind of how it is with Shashlik here. <laughs> like every Coxus guy knows the best way to do no, it. No, 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 no. You don't want to put the meat on that way. <laughs> no, you got to alternate them. Uh-huh, yeah. How to build the fire the oh, right way? Yeah, the fire, everything about it. Um, but it's kind of co- like collegi- collegial, and but and they all do it great and spirited. Yeah, but like you know, in English we would say too many chefs in the kitchen, and when men are doing shashlik in the Caucasus, that's where that applies for sure. Too many <laughs> in the North Caucasus is primarily lamb, lamb. Yeah, and then chicken. Yeah, this is, we are in, you know, in America, it's grilling out season right now. It's the summer. So Memorial Day, July 4th, Labor Day. So it's shashlik season here. I did shashlik five times in May. (laughs) Calculate it, that's 30 hours of shashlik. It was really like five times in three weeks. And I was like ready to fast from from meat for a a week. (gasps) I mean, I was, (laughs) I gained a lot of weight that month. I found two really good links we're going to have in the show notes that, kind of talk to you more about the place of shashlik and chai and Russian and Caucasus culture. Uh, so let me read this to you. This I'm is a gonna be really good out. intro. Many think of vodka as the quintessential Russian drink, but it's actually hot tea that defines Russian culture. In fact, Russians are obsessed with tea. 
As a nation, they drink a whopping 180,000 tons of tea per year. (laughs) For many Russians, tea is more than just a drink. It's a lifestyle. And unlike other cultures where tea drinking is all about the tea, in Russia, tea drinking is usually a social event. Tea drinking follows nearly every meal. And in some cases, tea is the meal paired with a gingerbread scone or other dessert or sweets. But above all, having a cup of tea is a time-honored pastime that's shared with friends and lasts many, many hours. A lot of Westerners associate vodka with Russia, but really, the, the national drink of Russia is hot tea. Okay, I mean, it's I've, not even close. I've been here for 10 months, and I just want to say I have not personally encountered vodka at all. Uh-huh. In any social context, in any dining context. Huh. I mean, it's in menus and in the stores. Yeah. I'll introduce like, you to some of my friends. No, I know. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it part is that I'm like, speak caveman Russian, and so people avoid me. But, um, but I just want to point that out. Vodka, you know, notwithstanding the thing, like, personally, it just hasn't come up much. But tea, every time I've met a new every person. Every time. Literally. So in Russia, in a par- all apartment buildings, Almost all have balconies and then these clotheslines right yeah. outside the balcony. And so we learned, you know, we need strong clips so they don't blow away and definitely things blew away. And anyway, she dropped, my wife accidentally dropped a pillowcase. And of course it goes on the lines directly below us. Lucky for you, it was just a pillowcase. <laughs> my unmentionable. There, so there's I, a pair of women's underwear hanging on the satellite dish right outside our, ba- <laughs> our balcony right now. <laughs> True story. Case in point. So I got to go downstairs and I meet our neighbors. And it's this Caucasus fella. He's a ball car guy. And I, this is like two months in. A month, I don't speak. I mean, I don't speak anything. And <laughs> almost without a pause, he opens the door. I was like, my, we dropped. I yeah, I like looked up the verbs. And, and he immediately just ushers me in. It's like, come in. It wasn't really an invitation. It was like a statement. Get in you here. Come in. And he takes me into his kitchen, sits me down. We get the pillowcase. And then... Then there's tea. Immediate. I mean, he didn't. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like it was just what he was doing. And then he fed That's me amazing. also fresh baked bread that happened to be coming out of the oven that moment, what? and fresh it, cheese it's like from he the mountains. It. It's like he planned it. <laughs> it's like he planned it. So, uh, and then the second one. Um, can, can I just let me pause? Okay, you right there. No, go ahead. That almost would never happen in America. Partly because we don't have clotheslines outside <laughs> of our window. That's true, but like. <laughs> You would get your pillowcase and be out. You would apologize and be out. Totally. I mean, that's, that's incredible. That, and that is the norm here. That's absolutely normal. Totally normal. You have chai almost after every single meal. And anytime you're visiting somebody or you have a guest over, you have chai. No question about it. You have tea. You have snacks. Maybe fruit. But usually it's some kind of sweets that go with the chai. Yeah. And so, and at that sitting, often, Local people, Caucasus people, will have multiple cups with multiple scoops of sugar in there. Oh man! So probably the the average Caucasus person has four to five cups of tea a day. Oh, maybe that's average. Really think so? Yeah. And I have a good friend Vanya. He's Russian, and he's basically like our plumber. Uh, he's a good guy. He does really good work, and we've needed him here a decent amount to help us with some things. Plumbing. Every time Vanya comes over. He absolutely must have chai with us before he leaves. Raise your hand if you serve your plumber tea. <laughs> yes. I mean, think about it, Americans. How weird would that be if your plumber asked you to have chai with you? Even if your oh, plumber. Man. He asks even, you? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Even if your plumber was your good friend. He comes over to plumb. During the workday, he's not going to stay 
sit down with you for 30 minutes to an hour after a, a good for nothing work. loaf if he came over and asked you for tea yeah but like That's during awesome. the work day he's not going to take that time to do that with you vanya every time says let's have chai and he he says something like to translate it into english it's like let's finish this process and have chai wow because like and you see and that's a point i want to make like it's more than just it's not just like a transaction it's a it's an experience welcome to episode eight of caucus talk stereotype is a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person or thing I'll buy that. Where'd yeah. that come from? Uh, the internet. The internet.com. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I found this thing called in-group favorability bias. Here, you, here, here is the voice of um, non-expert opinion coming in. <laughs> yes. Let's hear it. So in-group, fa- say it again. In-group favorability bias. Okay, see where we're going. So listen to this. This is, I, I found this on multiple sites where like, People were writing and discussing stereotypes. WebMD. No, different. Good. ESPN. Psychology Today. Yeah. But in general, people agreed like stereotypes often come from this thing. So, okay. so listen to this. Here's the quote. We want to feel good about the group we belong to. And one way of doing so is to denigrate all those who aren't in it. And while we tend to see members of our own group as individuals, we view those in outgroups as an undifferentiated stereotyped mass. Well said. That's pretty interesting, huh? Sure. So by, by doing that, it helps us feel better about ourselves because we're treating ourselves like humans and we're treating everyone else like statistics. Or yeah. just- and it's so easy. I mean, especially we're going to talk about this, but when you start talking about the three biggies, I think, are gender, man or woman, mm-hmm. number two, race, like a person's ethnicity and that can be tied to their nationality and their country and third their religion like these i think those three big areas are where people make decisions and say like oh all people of this religion are like this or all people from that country are like this so you want us to i mean i guess the goal of stereotypes is to acknowledge the like acknowledge history acknowledge fact but to kind of hold back or check the categorizing stereotyping impulse that we have to that kind of blinds us yes to what's actually there yeah and this can i think this happens honestly when i've seen this happen with myself in the past when our primary source for information about a region or a group of people is the news when that's your only source of information about things things can never be humanized people can't be humanized yeah and then you start the i mean with stereotypes come strong emotions opinions and even from that can come unhealthy actions towards others for sure you know for sure um so no one's uh, most of life is mundane and uneventful so you know the news can't can't headline things are still good in the village of whatever (laughs) that's right all right. I just want to say about Caucasus men, men here are really, really respectful towards women and children. Yeah. And especially the elderly. But like a story I can tell is 
countless times. We live right around the corner from a local grocery store. And my wife has been either in the grocery store or walking home with bags of food. And one of my Caucasus buddies has seen her and without even hesitating, he's taken her bags and carried them all the way up to our apartment with her. And usually that's an encounter with like a, why isn't Andrew carrying the groceries for you? (laughs) You know, like kind of like throwing me under the bus a little, but that has happened countless times there. And she has like expressed her gratitude to me so many times. Like, I'm so thankful. I ran into your friend and that he did that for me, you know? Like, I really appreciate that about Caucasus men. It sounds like what you're saying is, like, we can acknowledge and need to, to be honest, that cultures have flaws. Okay, yeah. so maybe this guy, by his own admission, the taxi driver, we have a hot temper. Okay, yeah, that's definitely uh, something that may be true of that particular... And it's a generalization, too. But it's yeah, a generalization. It what does that there. mean? How does it work? Yeah. But if that's what you hear, you don't have a day-to-day context of hundreds of acts of kindness, respect, um, dignity that balance that out. So you say, okay, so maybe guys can be razzed more easily, a little more easily than I think we can, for example. But there's this whole, um, yeah, there's this whole body of experiences that you have that help you see not just that. He he called it, what did you say? It was um, like state-level risk management. Yeah. 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 Um, so yes, there is a history in the North Caucasus of, there have been wars here. There have been ethnic conflicts. For sure. Um, but that isn't the daily reality Mm-mm. for the majority of the citizens here right. yeah, on a daily basis. Right. Um, and it's not reflective even today of what it's actually like. Right. Yeah. More and more tourists are coming here. It is becoming, it's become a lot safer to living here. We feel so safe here compared to Charlotte. Yeah. To the United States where I'm from, where I'm a citizen, you know? Um, And so again, I think, I think this issue of safety really gets tied in with anywhere that's different from what you're used to, especially in another country. And especially if that country in your mind right. is related to past political conflicts. And so I've had lots of conversations in America with Americans who don't trust Russia. And I've had lots of conversations in Russia with Russians who don't trust America. Right. And that's totally a stereotype built on like basically the relationships between our government. It has nothing to do with the relationships between common people, you know? Right. And, um, I just want to say, as an American who lives in Russia, I really appreciate when Russians give me the benefit of the doubt and not based on my ethnicity. That's effectively, you know, what it means, I think, to show love to another person is is to treat them, well, like how you want to be treated. I mean, there's that. That was deep, deep, Eli. It was really deep. Waxing poetic. I am. It's my second cup of tea. Good, Good start. So, good stuff. So. Make friends, that's the first tip. My second tip is learn history. Uh, So let me give an example. Like, I would assume most Americans don't know anything about the history of this region, the North Caucasus. I, until recent, had never read a book about the history of the North Caucasus. And it has just blown my mind, honestly. And when you learn history and understand, like, what people's relatives went through, their previous generations what happened in their land and their cities 
and these things are all tied in with politics and religion and ethnicity, it helps you understand where people are coming from today. For sure. Um, and it enables you to have conversations you couldn't have before and like ask questions you couldn't ask before. Um, you can learn history from reading books, which is really helpful. But like, I've learned so much history just talking with people here. Man, there is nothing like a well-placed, well, well-timed, well-placed, well-phrased question. Huh. And if you don't know how to ask questions, it's probably because you don't know anything about what you're asking about. That's a lot of you statements. But just in general, like if I went up, you know, if I keep going back to like the social, like the party. But you're saying there, you're talking to a, um, you know, I don't know, an entomologist, someone who studies bugs. Uh-huh. And you just don't know what to say to this person. Right. Like, oh, what do you do? I'm an entomologist because they all sound like that. And then you're like, oh, is that, that's the study. Okay. And that's the end of the conversation. Why? Because I don't know a thing about it. I don't right. know what to ask. Yeah. Like, what's your favorite bug? If I know, if I knew something about ent- ed- entomology and I knew author, or whatever, I could ask some, some actually interesting questions. Like, yeah. what did you think about this person's work? Or what did you... When you learn more about history, specifically others' history, then it can really, really help you break down stereotypes and get to know people for who they actually are. Awesome. That's yeah. so true. And that has been awesome here in the North Caucasus. I've really enjoyed that, specifically here with my Caucasus friends. Woo! It's not easy to talk about stereotypes. Oh, man, I'm, I'm pouring, pouring sweat here. That was so <laughs> tense, that whole conversation. But it is, but it's so helpful. I mean, it's healthy. We need to you know, be able to... Yeah. to Talk about the t- uh, well, an elephant in the room. Everyone's got biases. That's life. But we'll touch religion and politics again in 2019. <laughs> um, <laughs> when we recovered from today's <laughs> podcast. Welcome to episode nine of Caucus Talk. Basically, when you're a guest in a Caucus home, I knew this, but we experienced it more this summer. There's no way your host is letting you pay for anything. No way. This is. We ended up six of us American guys going to be guests in a ball car home for four days and three nights. Right. So this we were in the the home of our friend Musa. So and, and this was not with your your family. It was just you and the fellas. Six guys, okay. me and the boys. Yeah. Uh, so there were six of us, and I tried to be upfront from the beginning, like, "Hey, we want to help." Like any way we can financially, we know like it's a lot of food. You guys are putting us up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so I think it was it was our second day there, and we had uh, done some hiking and stuff. Had a good time so far, and I was sitting in kind of the courtyard of the home talking to my friend Musa's dad, and we were discussing our plans for the next day. We wanted to go to this lake and do shashlik, which we just talked about this, but do like grilling out, Russian grilling oh, yeah. out, the shish kebabs. And uh, I just mentioned to him, uh, I said, hey, is there anywhere here? And they live in a smaller village, probably 3,000 people. We can, we can buy shashlik here from a local like food store, right? Grocery you may, store. You, let me guess. You may as well have like slapped him in the face. <laughs> and uh, he looked at me. <laughs> With this look of righteous indignation. <laughs> and he just looked me straight in the eye and said, you're not paying for anything. <laughs> but I don't think it's an exaggeration to say 10 to 30% of small grocery stores here. No, 
of the small grocery stores here, <laughs> 10 to 30% of their shelf space is given to gift box chocolates. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's like the really small uh, store by our house. One of three walls it's is a big all, wall. is like gift stuff. Yeah, tea and chocolate and yep, that's a good point. Uh, you know, maybe juice. Those are all good gift things. So it's it that tells you something. You go in a grocery store. It's like, what if yeah. I don't want box chocolate? What <laughs> do you have anything else in here? There's some phrases in the Russian language that really reflect that. Oh, and it's it just doesn't translate well into Russian. But into one English. is. Or into English. One is uh, Pochilovitsky, and the second is Pabratsky. So Pochilovitsky means like you would do something to somebody else because it's the most basic essential thing you would do for another human being. It just like, makes sense. The root of the word is Chilovic, which is person. Yeah. So it's like being humane. 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 And then Pabratsky is like doing it for a brother. Right. Which they say a lot more here in the Caucasus. But, you know, I've. That's definitely something, a kind of a universal thing about the Caucasus. No matter what a person's religion is or their political views or whatever the differences are, people here are so humane towards others. Mm -hmm. And especially when you get in that context of hospitality and hosting. Interesting. So. Yeah, good job, uh, Caucasus people. Your friend is my friend. Uh, we learn from you every day. If I had to break it down to two themes we just saw repeated over and over among different ethnicities in different homes and different contexts, I would say overwhelming generosity and extreme flexibility with time and space. Ex- wow. That was kind of really well I couldn't, summarized. I couldn't break it down into any no, really well shorter summarized. phrases, but. People are so generous with uh, what they have, and people are really flexible and willing to let you stay at their home longer if you need to. Uh, they'll give you all the space you need. I mean, yeah. we, we know this because we have kids, and it takes space to host a family like us. You know? <laughs> uh, and um, so anyways, those are great qualities to have in being. I have, a, I have a, a revised title to, to propose for your Mo Money, Mo Problems. Okay. For, for guests? No money, no problem. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like that. First is obviously the nature is beautiful, but I was really struck by how beautiful the fauna is this summer. (laughs) Speaking of good words. (laughs) um, So what do you think fauna means? When I say fauna, I'm I'm talking about kind of like the plant life and specifically the flowers. Okay. So that would be flora. Flora. Fauna, those are, they often go together. Is fauna Flora like and green fauna. stuff? Fauna means animals. Oh, I was wondering. This website was talking about fauna but had animals on it. Yeah. <laughs> so they're right. So flora and fauna. Okay. Uh, plants and animals. But we're going to talk about flora and fauna. Okay, good. I like get all mis- of our Latin mis- words. mistaked my way into that one. Mistook my way into that <laughs> one. Taught uh, by some people I really respect. Assume friendship. And man. You often, you know, we, if we don't know somebody, they're a stranger and you keep a distance. But I would say more often than not in the Caucasus, friendship is assumed, especially in the context of being a guest. Really important. Yeah. Joe's feedback is, this is by far the most niche podcast I listen to now. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of cool. It really is a niche. Niche, niche. Yeah. That's for sure. 
It's sort of niche. like um, high-end fashion, you know, <laughs> if you think about it. We are like the high-end fashion of geography, world geography. Yeah, it's so high-end, it doesn't a- 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 apply to most people on the planet. Please email, email us at podcast at caucustalk.com. That's C-A-U-C-A-S talk.com. And yeah, iTunes reviews. We value them greatly. Thanks for listening. Again, this is the Caucus Talk Podcast, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. We will have Shashlik and tea with you when you get here. (laughs) 